At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Oral Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. It's the podcast where we talk about educational films, documentaries, interesting caught and experimental films. Uh, we are jumping pretty deep into, I guess we'll call it a documentary film today uh, with To New Horizon showing us a bit of the uh, 1939 New York World's Fair. This is Matt here. With me today is John Champion from the Mission Log podcast. Hi, thanks for joining in. Matt, my pleasure, man. I love doing these. You, you know that these kind of topics just speak to me. So uh, I'm all over it. Yeah, the world. Actually, this is what's the word? Mel, uh, melancholy, bittersweet. World Fair <laughs> obsession is a weirdly like unsatisfying obsession to have, I think. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Because, yeah, uh, you know, 40 years ago, if you had a World's Fair obsession, you might feel like, wow, I miss the really good ones, but at least there are others to look forward to. And now it's just kind of a relic, uh, unless you go to Epcot. That, that's really the closest thing to uh, a standing traditional World's Fair. There are World's Fairs, and they, they've had them, uh, if not every year, at least like every other year. But I think the focus and certainly the scale is very different nowadays than they were 40, 50, and certainly you know 80 years ago. And you, you still would need to go back uh, 40 years for Epcot to really have a World's Fair vibe. I oh, mean, yeah, totally. Of those, but uh, the yeah, last that was very went, different. Yeah. The last time I went, went was um, 2009, maybe. So, okay. So, yeah, yeah. it was changing for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I'm, I know they've, uh, they've brought a bunch of characters into the rides. Like, I think Norway was still that like wacky maelstrom ride at, at that point in time <laughs> dude i still in my head i i just every now and then it'll pop in i just hear that opening narration you are not the first to pass this way nor shall you be the last and now and that, that's what i want to keep in my head i don't want to ride the one with elsa and frozen and all of that stuff yeah yeah and um e even in japan i haven't made my way to disneyland or we have disney sea of course here which um yeah mostly uh, apparently it's just the most phenomenal theme park ever built but you know that's just what I've heard. Yeah, I, I have been to see about been yeah. to see about maybe three <laughs> or four times. Just not recently. It's just once I had a kid. You know, it's like now we yeah. have to like wrangle the. You know, the it, it becomes so much more expensive. <laughs> sure, yeah, damn right it does. Yeah, uh, but I would say, um, you know, sea is the superior park, but land is the more revisitable one. Sure, like, I get it. You go see it. a couple of times, like been there, done that, but you can always find, I mean, a little nook and cranny in Disneyland, you know, you have yeah. not experienced before. Yeah. So <laughs> I get it. I get um, it. As far as the new horizons, could you give the folks just a, the, the thumbnail summary of what we're looking at today? Honestly, all it takes is a thumbnail description. <laughs> Put yourself back into 1939, and you essentially have two halves of a movie, the introduction being uh, the cold, gray, black and white world of 1939. And it's so sad, but, but there is progress. There are things like uh, heating and cooling in your home, brought to you by the miracle of the thermostat. There are technologies that make our lives easier, like cars and trucks and uh, all, yeah, all kinds of stuff that you may find around you. And that's because of progress. That's because of the march forward of science and technology. Cut to the beautiful full color world of the future, 1960, and a variety of urban and suburban scenes to show you how cities can grow and adapt and provide a better future for all because of that slow, steady, beautiful growth of technology. And you get to visit many places in between. You get highways, you get suburban landscapes, you get giant cities with parks everywhere. Um, you, you got, what do they say, quarter mile high skyscrapers. And this is all thanks to General Motors. Uh, so good for them putting all of this together. 
All right. Well, you know, General Motors, I guess, is responsible for my hometown. If you know Atlanta, it's uh, Doraville, where they used to have the giant General Motors plant, which has been knocked down and replaced with Third Rail Studios. So now you get your Marvel movies from there. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, oh, hey, one important detail here for anybody who did not watch uh, this episode's video, that transition from uh, black and white to color and going from the present of 1939 to the future of 1960, the transition piece is entering the uh, trial on Parisphere of the 1939 World's Fair. So you do have uh, that transition to show you. And then th they show that, and then you go to the General Motors Pavilion uh, for the uh, the World's Fair. So that's what we're talking about. This is all centered on the 1939-1940 New York World's Fair. Yes. And uh, of mm -hmm. course, the, I, I guess this is the first use of the word Futurama. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I know they made yeah, one for the sure 64 as well. And of course, later you get the uh, TV show that's clearly referencing these. But uh... <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Um, and it's there's so much to get into here, but you know, one of the first questions that I had for myself was, who is this movie made for? Because it's too long to be, maybe, maybe not, but but to me, at running about 24 minutes, I want to say, it's too long to be something that you just drop as a newsreel in front of a feature, along with a cartoon and whatever else you were showing in 1939. Um, it's not something that would show on TV because there wasn't a whole lot of TV in 1939. Um, and it's not something you would show at the fair because this is for people who have not come to the fair. Presumably you want to entice them, but honestly, there's already a lot of enticement to go to the fair anyway. And if General Motors is knocking this thing out, uh, I mean, it might partly serve as uh, a sort of a justification internally to why they are at the fair or as a record for General Motors of why they were there. But it seems strange uh, as a piece aimed for an audience who, it, look, if you're going to the fair, you're already going to see it. If you're not going to the fair, where would you see this? So that, that was kind of a mystery to me. I actually woke up this morning and the first thought I had was that question. <laughs> Are you serious? No way. All right, so I'm not insane. All right. Cool. No, no. Cool. And um, so, yeah, because I was like, well, you wouldn't show it in a classroom. So I, I had two thoughts, right. um, neither of which are like completely strong. One of which I was like, well, you might show this at the New York Welcome Center. But that sort mm. of requires the future of 1960 with your highways. Um, I don't know if they really did that before the highways were built. So Right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> The, yeah. the other one, um, I had a student a day or two and his, his uh, taking a class trip to Fujiku Highland, which is basically the six flags of Japan. Um, OK, <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like, oh, let's, he was like, oh, I don't like roller coasters, <laughs> which it, it is a, just a serious roller coaster park. So I was like, oh, let's look at the website and see what's there. Sure. And, um, and I started noticing like some of them actually had an age limit for 64. So, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now. I'm like, hey, I only have 22 years to ride the roller coasters. <laughs> but I that's thinking, wild. I mean, the, the, OK, that's wild. First of all, as we record this, a 90 year old man just went into space a few <laughs> days ago and they're telling you, you can't ride a roller coaster past the age of 64. I call shenanigans. Yeah. They also just closed one of their roller coasters. Uh, the one that is legitimately called a jet coaster, actually called a Dumpa. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, <laughs> This one just um, you're on the track. It doesn't go up a hill. It just builds up hydraulics or whatever. And, uh, you know, it okay. counts three, two, one, and just instantly you go from zero to 60 in like half a second. And, oh, yeah. Uh, go yeah. straight up hill, straight down. Um, and I remember riding it just 15 years ago. But um, after, am I going to have a heart attack from that thing? And um, <laughs> apparently a few people did have a heart attack from that thing recently, and it's currently closed. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, good so, call. Good call, yeah. Japan. I would yeah. not put Shatner on that coaster. I, I don't think. No. <laughs> well, he was pulling five G's on uh, on that rocket, apparently. So, yeah. but I, I guess you do all kinds of tests before you go up there. So, which they're not doing on a roller coaster. Yeah, I, I just love the photo where it's like, what they're going to send him up with a bunch of red shirts? It's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but um, yeah. So my thought was maybe. I don't know. There might have been some kind of requirement, you know, like handicapped uh, access may have not been a thing 
quite yet. So maybe mm-hmm. there were people that could get into a movie theater and see this, but not climb aboard. I don't know. Maybe there's a yeah, flight of yeah, stairs. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. A little but, weird. Uh, yeah. That, that was kind of where I settled on it. But uh, I, I, I was also wondering if this is where America's sort of dream of the road begins. Um, that being one of the main narratives of the 50s in, uh, in particular, I think. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the the highways here didn't really get built until the Eisenhower era. So um, that's, yeah, it, it predates that. Uh, but I guess, well, you're looking at 1939. Uh, other countries had really dedicated some time and effort to national highways like, oh, I don't know, the Autobahn. Uh, so so the U.S. could have looked at that as like, oh, maybe, maybe we're going to need something like that, too. Um yeah, but it, it they're they're ahead by a good fifteen years. Yeah, one. Uh, this is a different film that uh, I think I haven't quite released the episode yet. It actually might be the week following this uh, how I release them, but um, it was from nineteen seventy one, seventy two. Uh, you're gonna love the title. It, it was actually called Booby Trap. <laughs> nice <laughs> and, hashtag Booby Trap. Yeah, yeah. and it um, was. It was this really guy, um, you know, SCTV, you remember like Bill Needle, right? Uh, Dave, sure. Dave Thomas' yeah. characters. It was a, it was a yeah. guy who came across like Bill Needle, <laughs> like, but for real, um, awesome. talking about how the roads have been planned badly and how like how they put pylons and curves and things in roads, like all the roads are unsafe. And we're like, this one's still kind of relevant. You know, there's there's still a yeah. bunch of really dangerous roads and. Uh, there's the joke that you know i-95 is new age because it's always working on itself so <laughs> uh, right. that's good You're like, oh, this one's relevant so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i felt like that's like almost uh, the opposite of to new horizons where you get these faultless perfect highways where there's never going to be an accident um I, yeah. I feel like this one's already sort of maybe it has a driverless car frame of mind, although I'm pretty sure no one in 1939 was thinking of driverless cars too hard. But Well, so they said remote control, and I wondered if what they meant was, in theory, you've got literally like a remote control, like a, like a kid's RC car, where it is radio controlled from a tower from somewhere else that is able to see where those cars are and move them around appropriately or let a computer move them around appropriately. Of course, they didn't have such a thing in 1939. Um, Or, you know, I think we're going to hit on a lot today in this discussion is the technologies that were, um, they were very prescient and very accurate versus the ones that are just completely off the rails, bonkers, wrong. But, you know, you and I both probably have friends who have cars that have at least some level of self-driving and they do certain things very well, like avoiding accidents and uh, slowing down and making sure that they're not driving recklessly. So that sort of autonomous driving, maybe or maybe not, they had that in mind or maybe to an audience in 1939, it didn't matter. They probably just heard that and thought, cool, hands off the wheel. I sit back, I relax and it goes. Um, But that is, that's sort of like the holy grail right now. And a lot of car companies getting very close. I, I honestly, I look forward to the day that you can get in any car and you know that you're maximizing that time on the road that uh, you avoid things like accidents and gaper delays and uh, bottlenecks of traffic because the cars are smart enough to move themselves around to uh, to get away from that. So they, they were aware of traffic in this film, but they had the better sense to go like, oh, okay, well, if the cars are doing the work themselves or a computer is doing the work themselves, you take that human element out of it that is the element that messes it up for everybody. Meanwhile, I haven't been able to use a cruise control for oh, more than 10 years. I don't know why in Japan <laughs> cars never have cruise control because my last oh, car in America. Yeah, my last yeah. car in America was uh, was manual. It was a, a Beetle that had cruise control and was manual. You get into your top gear and then hit the switch on the highway. <laughs> That's interesting. I can't even remember the last time I used cruise control. Maybe when I lived in Chicago, like we were talking... 15 years ago and maybe driving because uh, I would make that long drive from Chicago to Birmingham every now and then maybe then I used cruise control but like I've got a sports car now and it has cruise control 
I've never turned it on once. <laughs> Couldn't even tell you how to turn it on. Yeah, I did a lot of rolling up I-95 because uh, I'm from Atlanta. And then I worked in Maine and New Brunswick, Canada, and was uh, yeah plopping up and down that highway quite a bit in my, uh, I guess, early, early 20s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, the thing about a cruise control is like you set the cruise. And then as soon as you tap the brake, which is a very natural reaction to something, that turns the cruise control off. And then you have to resume back to that setting. If you've got a smart car that is actually uh, driving autonomously, cool. It just goes like, time to get out of the way. We're going to move over here. We're going to slow it down. We're going to speed it up. Cool. Yeah. The other weird thing is I actually can no longer drive a manual. It's a separate license in Japan. And uh, Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I uh, Honestly, I, I learned how to drive on a manual. Can't even remember the last time I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah my, but, my first two cars were manual, but that was a long time ago. I, I kind of do miss it. You know, I'm in the mountains, so you have to downshift a lot. So you kind of get the feeling yeah. when, when you right. do that. But I, I mean, it's weird. I, and when, I'm, I think in a lot of ways, I'm a better driver because I navigate these insane narrow streets, lots of mountains, all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> now the idea of, say, doing Atlanta's 285, you know, terrifies <laughs> me. So um, sure. No, my I wife was in the state. She's Japanese. She was, we lived in the States for two years and she never got, got up the mustard to actually try driving anywhere other than a parking lot. <laughs> I, I've got friends like that to this day. A good friend of mine lives like out past Pasadena. She will not drive on the highway here at all. And she doesn't mind riding on the highway, but she just won't do it. All I, right. It took me a little while to because uh, when I first started actually driving in Japan, I'd try and keep it to the normal streets and, and keep it from yeah. the highway, too, because, you know, now it's fine. I'll drive anywhere. Sometimes my wife is like, why are you going this way? These roads are dangerous. It's because I know how to drive them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a... See, wouldn't that be the ultimate thing, though? Like what I really want, I always say that uh, my favorite car would be my current car, which is a 370Z with a tesla motor in it like take out that gas guzzling engine that's in there because believe me my gas mileage is awful <laughs> throw in an electric motor and throw in uh autonomous driving throw in the tesla computer whoever makes the best at this point i assume it's tesla um and uh let it drive autonomously when i'm in la but then when i get out of la and it's open roads just let the computer tell me hey you want to take over and drive like a maniac go to it <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, or up uh, there's literally a place here called stunt road which is out near malibu and believe me that's fun <laughs> that that is a fun place to exercise your car <laughs> dead, dead man's curve i don't know yeah i yeah I've, right I've only, I've only been to california once but i ended up doing um big sur at night <laughs> oh wow and then we, yeah. we camped we camped somewhere in big sir uh, unfortunately in a batch of poison oak as it turned out a few days later but <laughs> mm -hmm. oh no <laughs> actually i Yikes. i came out unscathed but my friend did not <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah you know next morning i wake up i'm like what i was driving that road <laughs> no <way. laughs> that was terrifying oh man <laughs> So oh, that, that's kind of cool. There was, there was another case recently where I was driving some road and it was because they, okay, for the whack technologies, the, the lighted tubing, there's one we didn't get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, the one yeah. I wanted. I mean, how trippy would highways look with that? <laughs> Absolutely, you want that. Uh, I mean, it, it's weird how inconsistent and inefficient most highway i mean particularly in the u.s you know i mean my all my basis of reference is going to be here pretty much but there are places that just roads are complete trash and other places they're perfect and somewhere they're well lit and logical and make sense and and kind of technologically up to date and others that just are not you know and, and i'll i'll go back to the autobahn here's something that is pre-world war ii but they had the good sense to build chunks of this concrete road so that if something goes wrong in one, you just replace the chunk and you've got basically new road from, from there. Um, and here we just like, Oh, it's going to get a pothole in it. All right. It'll sit there for 10 or 20 years until somebody gets around to it. And it keeps getting worse and worse with that, that lighted tube. And then as you notice, they also had, uh, it looked like banked uh, curves and sort of like uh, curved walls on some. Oh of yeah, those that was where, weird. No passing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it looked like you know that would be on the major places. There was one of those that I swear looked like a twenty-lane highway, 
I mean, it was crazy in one of those model shots, but you know, you're just, you're doing a model. That's easy. I assume they mean that as an intercity kind of thing where you just, you have a section that's like that and you just let people go nuts, you know, over, well, they, it, there was one bit with the narration that says like up to 50 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. My like, note after I was like, can you enjoy 55? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but I imagine in, in an inner city kind of thing like that, uh, where you had these massive highway uh, well, projected, we're all talking theoretical here with these banked roads and all that and lighted. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 100, 100 plus would make sense if the computer's driving, the driving for you. Rolling through a city, though, I guess 50. I mean, if you're coming through a major urban center, um, you know, 50 miles an hour is not a bad clip during a rush hour. I mean, L.A. is notorious for being what, like negative five miles an hour. Yeah, I, that, that's damn good. I mean, if I could hit 20 on a regular basis here, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the secret to this sort of model working is more of the toll roads, because um, my life is a little more like this movie where I live in my town and I don't get out of my town that much. And in the past year and a half, I have I even been out of this mountain valley? I mean, it's a long valley, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think right. I've gone anywhere. But you know, if I go somewhere, you get on the toll highway. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. I was mentioning not wanting to take the family trip to Disneyland or Disney Sea because you got to pay for the bullet train. Or you got to yeah. get the, the, you know, like the kind of shuttle bus or you got to yeah. do the highways where you, you have gas, which is a little more expensive in Japan and the toll. Sure. So sure. You know, just just the transportation yeah. is quite a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that all goes, man, that, it, you're just kicking up like a million thoughts for me. Uh, and, and that all goes to kind of what I love so much about movies like this and also get a little depressed <laughs> over movies like this. And that's that I love urban planning and I, I love the idea of um, this type of large scale engineering to address problems. And, and the issue always will be that when you're doing something that is about the future, you're always talking about the present. You know, and that is true for science fiction, but it's also true for this kind of speculative. It's not fiction, but but it is a projection into the future. And I, I can very strongly compare this movie to Walt Disney's original Epcot film. Before Epcot was the theme park, we're talking in 1966 when uh, Walt himself was proposing this idea of a city in Florida. It would be kind of a showcase for technology and corporate innovation. We would also have residents who would stay there. And there was a lot about that idea that you can look at now in retrospect and go, okay, well, that's crazy. That would never work. But there's a lot about that idea that was brilliant. And it started from transportation. It started from the idea of, okay, you build a city in layers and underneath you have this high-speed highway that just blasts people right through it. And then you've got like a, uh, above that, you, you've got sort of the turnoff layer where people getting off of that high-speed highway can drive their own vehicles. You've got a layer of light rail that takes people to further distances in that city and just beyond the city. And then you've got another layer of hyper-local like people mover right. uh, cars, all maglev, you know. So they were and, um, with rocket rods. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, just such a, <laughs> oh, oh, that, that pains me to this day, you know. <laughs> but, um, but, but it was such a good idea of saying like, okay, here's the problem. The problem is getting people from point A to point B. You cause congestion. It's a bad scene for everybody. So how do we address that? And you build this city basically like spokes of a wheel and with, with multiple layers of transportation. Um, and then I, I think one of the smartest things here is then you don't overcrowd the city. It's like, if you fill that to capacity, you go build another one next to it. And then you have these interconnected uh, through this transportation. So you have these interconnected city hubs rather than just letting the city sort of grow and morph beyond its useful function. And, um, and it was cool to see in this, in the 1939 film, the idea of transportation being key. That has to be an important thing because they're addressing it in 1939 as a problem that they want to attack for the future. But then what does that look like when you factor in, there are ships, there are trains, there are planes, 
everybody's got a car, presumably. People live in the suburbs, but work in the city, presumably. And then you see these cities really grow and grow and grow. And at a certain point, um, they they do sort of grow beyond control. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking my commute now is like this vintage train line. It's not even like the the national train line. It's a local company. And um, oh wow, we got we have train geeks in Japan. Like not even just like steam yeah. locomotives or things, but they they are like obsessed with the regular commuter cars. So <laughs> oh yeah, hey hey dude, I, I've got some of the magazines when I was in Japan. Yeah, I, I picked up some train otaku magazines because yeah, uh, so. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I groove on that. Yeah. No, it's just funny when I'm getting to work and there's like several dudes like taking photos of the train I'm getting off of. Like, <laughs> um, I, I do but love see, you. No, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, well, they know the, the engines that are in these trains, which if you're into that, that's cool. You know, for me, I do yeah. quite enjoy my commute. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to but cut see, that out of my day. You have this really interesting thing, though, where in Japan, I mean, Japan is unique because it is an island. You have this set amount of space that needs to get covered. Right. And then you also have uh, this unique combination of national train service, but also localized and, and you know, smaller train service. U.S. is gigantic. And then they screwed everything up in 1971 by what should have been great, you know, consolidating everything into Amtrak and just letting that be uh, the passenger rail system when all, all the other passenger rail uh, independent companies were dying, like Southern and Pacific and, you know, uh, Northeastern and all this stuff. Um, but it, it was one of those things like, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. It, it, it never got the follow-up. It never got the, the nurturing that it needed to really be robust and, uh, and thrive. I hope we're about to change that with the, uh, the new spending bill, uh, the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but then that gets into a whole political problem, which is very different here than it is in some other countries that have thriving rail. You yeah, know? I don't think I ever took a practical train ride in the States. Um, I oh, was... I do it all the time. Yeah, I, I do it with, honestly whenever I can. And it's good. It's just very limited. You know? Yeah, because I um, yeah. when I, I was this is 20 years ago, I was student teaching. And I was going to I was still in Atlanta. I was going to visit my, my girlfriend at the time in Philadelphia. And I actually was like, hey, mm-hmm. I think I'll take, you know, take the Amtrak. Right. Yeah. And uh, trying to get on and. um basically realizing it was like three times more expensive and i'm like just finishing <laughs> college and, and yeah. that much more time so uh, you know i just yeah. got a plane ticket for september 12th 2001 which whoa was, was no not way used <laughs> wow wow yeah. so uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean our, our rail system here is good it's just dated and it is so like you look at a map and you go like, wow, you're just you're just missing like 75 percent of the country the way these. Ra- I mean, you know, living in L.A., uh, like it seems like for 50 years we've been wanting high speed, consistent rail service to Vegas. Like of all places, just do a train from L.A. to mm-hmm. Vegas. Come on. And no, uh, but, but you run into all these very complex political situations and every town has to get like a kickback or they've got a problem or whatever. And that, that's the other thing that a, a movie like this and a movie like the Epcot proposal video um, that they tend to miss, which is particularly the way things are done in the U.S., it's a mess. Things are zoned to death and they are politicized to death so that even great ideas tend to die before they can actually uh, break ground on any of it. I'll hand it to the Disney company that I think this is the last time in history that anybody would be able to pull off what they did, which is buying 26 square miles of land in Florida secretly you know by using all these shell companies and then setting up their own kind of provisional government there to be able to uh, uh approve or uh, you know sort of bend the local laws to fit what they wanted with the eyes on not just doing theme parks but doing this city uh that all you know prior to walt's death but i really think that is the last time in history that anything like that will ever be able to take place 
because mm-hmm. nowadays things like that aren't secret. You can't keep those things secret anymore. And as soon as that story breaks, everybody who's got a piece of poster board is going to show up and protest and write things on the internet. And I, you know, and it'll just be a mess and then it'll never happen. <laughs> um, yeah. One part of bit of ridiculous trivia that fits in with, I guess, caught films um, mm-hmm. previous to Disney buying the land. Uh, that area apparently was the filming location for the gore film, 2000 maniacs. <laughs> oh my God. Special <laughs> so, Gordon Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. So right if you on. see that, that's, that's on the future site of Disney world, apparently. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. One of the best Wait. theme songs ever too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, th- there was something that I, in this film, um, there was one part of it. There was a line in there. Maybe you jotted it down in your notes or toward the end of the film, the narrator says something that's a little, a little scary. Like, yes, the city of the future where we, you know, get rid of the old and bring in the new. And it was <laughs> like, wow, they just don't care about history at all. <laughs> you no, know? they're going to take down all the red brick buildings. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a bit worrisome. I, you know, I, I've lived in New York. I lived in Chicago, two cities with great architectural history. Uh, LA is mostly trash, but you know, <laughs> there's, there's still some architectural history here too. And I feel like those things can coexist. You, you do need historic architecture uh but then you also need to figure out a way to make new technologies uh and demands of a new and modern population uh fit around that historic architecture while you're building new things and particularly new uh new transportation so i'll throw a question your way if you could step into the time machine or slingshot around the sun uh which world would you target (laughs) man that is so hard uh if i had to pick one um if i had to pick one it would be the 1893 world's fair in chicago um and the reason being that uh there were a lot of photos taken of that fair there was a lot written about that fair it was the largest fair in the u.s um and there's something intriguing about that that you don't really get a sense of the people there uh uh, eric larson did a great job in devil in the white city sort of giving you a more personal view of it but if you look at the photos taken most of them don't have people in them it was like architectural we should probably note (laughs) yeah and there was a big murder yeah yeah uh, hh holmes was killing people just down the road um but it, it was this huge undertaking um And there's the, every world's fair has a certain amount of aspiration, which I think is super important, but this was Chicago, uh, 22 years after the great fire. And we're in the, the thick of the industrial revolution. There's a lot of anticipation about the future and a lot of inspiration about the future. Um, but just to see that kind of on a ground level, um, and here's my one caveat is if you are sending me back in time. I'm taking my uh, either my good camera or my iPhone with a, a good <laughs> camera in it because I I want that feeling of immediacy, which is something you really miss from uh, from just looking at photos of the fair. I think, fortunately, with the 33 fair in Chicago, the 39 in New York, and the 64 in New York, because they're well documented, more from a personal point of view, I feel like you can get a better sense of it. You know, um, and particularly with like the 64 uh, and the 39, for that matter, there's a lot written about the food that was there. So you can kind of get a sense of, of like, well, well, what was a day actually like when you were there? You know, older and older fairs, you, you lose a sense of that. But if you give me the keys to the bird of prey again and let me slingshot around the sun a couple of times, I'm doing 93, uh, 1893 Chicago. I'm doing uh, 30, I I do 39 New York and I definitely do 64 New York because I feel like 64 New York and maybe 67 Montreal, that's kind of the end of our positive, progressive, aspirational views of the future. And, And that saddens me. That saddens me incredibly. Because you get into the early 70s and you get into the oil crisis, we're in Vietnam, where uh, all these social factors 
that make that kind of idealism less appealing takes over and and we're we're there now you know and that that breaks my heart a bit because you know you know me from doing uh mission log from talking about star trek every week and star trek originally was about what do we get to do when we solve our problems here how can we project ourselves a couple hundred years in the future because we've taken care of the things that are holding us back now? And that's what World's Fairs were like up until the end of the 60s. And there's not really a language right now in our popular culture that describes the same thing. There aren't a whole lot of people saying, wow, 2130 is going to be awesome because we'll get to do these things. You know, what we're talking about now is 2030 and 2040 and 2050 saying, all right, well, uh, the environment is still going to be a wreck. It'll be worse than it is now. Uh, there will be people in need. Uh, there will be people starving to death. Uh, there will be more access to more deadly weapons. That's what our point of view is of the future right now. Yeah, just and uh a, a selfish yeah. point of view on that too. It's kind of like thinking, gee, mm -hmm. what can I do now? Cause I feel like in 2030, I can't do a few of those things anymore. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, down sure. to, you know, again, I'm in Japan, you know, sushi is something that may not be on the menu, uh, a certain number of, uh, you know, years yeah. into the future. So yeah. Uh, right. Right. I should yeah. I mean, that. food scarcity is going to be a real problem and, and you, you know, resources like water, it, it's not even about, the scarcity of the product itself it's about the ownership of that product you know uh, as economic disparity gets worse and worse as the population increases that economic disparity becomes much more acute and the haves will have a lot more than the have-nots do not have so it, it it pains me that if you were to try to launch a world's fair today that had the same point of view as a world's fair from the thirties or the sixties, um, you'd get, you get laughed out of the city. I mean, it, it just, it, people wouldn't take to it. They would, I either, they wouldn't understand it or it would get critiqued to death to the point that the good ideas die along with the bad ideas. And, right. and I watch a movie like this one that we watch today. And I just go, you know, there are good ideas in there and there is, even if it's a very incomplete picture, there's something that is very hopeful about that. Um, we we could sit here and we could critique it to death. We could say this is a very white middle class view of the future presented by a giant corporation that is relying on white middle class consumers for years to come. Yeah, yeah, that that is a given <laughs> when we watch this. <laughs> the idea, though, of saying roads should be safer. People should have access to more. People should have jobs that are satisfying, that pay them. You know, like like these are all the things that are kind of the subtext of this film, or or even just the the very uh, explicit statement of the film. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but I feel like the way we are now in 2021 discussing a film like this, it's much easier to just pick it apart and go like. Oh, well, corporations are evil because they do this, this, and this, and governments are evil because they do this, this, and this. Let's just shove the whole thing away because it'll never happen. Yeah, I kind of concur with the the ninety three, the eighteen ninety three one to, to to be the one to see for some of the reasons you said. But another one is like you're asking here, where the lost technologies are very clear. Ninety three, yeah. there's something there that would absolutely blow your mind. I think you know. Yeah. Yeah. The construction yeah. of that thing. If you talk to an architect or an urban planner now, they're like, no, you, you cannot do that in like what the two year prep period. It's just yeah. like impossible. literally two years. Like they knew something. Yeah. Well, uh, one, one of my other friends is like, well, they didn't have as good labor laws then, but uh, <laughs> which could be part of it. Like, but I, I think could there be. were probably, I mean, we again, they can't really build the pyramids now. There are lost technologies, and yeah. that would be yeah. a really interesting pivot point to see some of them i think more than you know these uh better documented ones as you mentioned and then yeah. a little well, earlier I mean, it, you know D daniel burnham who uh planned that fair said you know make make no small plans 
Uh, they're, oh shoot, I'm going to mess up the quote. Make no small plans. Uh, they, la- they lack the fire to stir men's souls. Something along those lines, you know. And I, I feel like at that time, he was the right person with the right people around him to stir souls to want to do that. And yeah, labor laws sucked. And yeah, that if you if you tried anything like that today, that would have to be addressed. That would have to be fixed. But I feel like you wouldn't even be able to attempt something like that today because it would get mired in so much other red tape and protest and and point counterpoint that you wouldn't even get the first shovel into the ground. I mean, the 64, we look back at that one as being like awesome and idealistic. And it probably was to go there, but um, you know, mm-hmm. the creation of that one was a total disaster and uh i think a <laughs> half of new york like really hated robert moses around that time <laughs> yeah totally totally but but you know like walt disney and and maybe to i mean and it's not a debate on you know the pros and cons of walt disney but um i think to a more nefarious degree robert moses did his plan in in the park for 64 the way that Walt Disney was doing his plans in Florida in 66 and beyond where, you know, it's total control. And we're just going to, we're, we're not going to take no for an answer with anything, but I, I think uh, Walt had a little better public facing uh, ability to do that. What, uh, what fair would you go to? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm concurring 93? with 1893 because I want yeah, okay, to get okay. my mind blown by, you know, something that, tesla showed up with that everyone forgot about you know <laughs> yeah well well that and and you know still like uh the largest to this day i want to say the largest ferris wheel everybody maybe it's been eclipsed by like the eye of london or something but for a long time for a number of decades that was the largest ferris wheel ever built each one of those cars was the size of a bus <laughs> you know yeah and it, it's incredible like a couple of years after it's scrapped <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Um, if you look at the maps of that one, it's it's basic. I mean, it's not a tiny thing, but in the scale of that um, World's Fair, it yeah. is a tiny thing, sort of in the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and the midway's a mile long. Remember, the midway's a mile long, and that was just the sideshow of the main fair. So when they say that it was the White City, yeah, it was a city that that they built. Um, but I, it, you know, I I, I don't want to constantly like tight the depressing details of politics today but you know the the other day i read this article about how um city of la had set aside something like um it, it was a sizable chunk of money it was like 19 million dollars something to build a multi-unit uh essentially like an apartment building in downtown in skid row that would house and it's a, it's a really nice design and it would house something like I can't remember what it was, maybe 500, three or 500 people who are homeless. And I'm like, that's fantastic. I'm glad they're doing that. Why aren't we building 200 of those? Because we've got however many hundred thousand homeless people here. And then, and what's the step beyond that? Okay, you build the building. What are the resources for mental health, for jobs, for uh, family services, et cetera? You know, they're all part of the package, they're all part of the deal to get people away from the conditions that have gotten them to where they are now because we have the resource like as people we have the resources to make things better for those with the least but again we don't because yeah. there's there are personal motivations there are selfish motivations there are uh political red tape to cut through there are just all these other factors that prevent us from being able to treat problems on a large scale with a fundamental change and in, in how we approach them. I guess one important thing is to uh, maintain, if you say build this yeah. in LA and um, build 200 of them, if you don't continue, build it, you got to keep maintaining it or you're going to end up with that uh, apartment complex in a clockwork orange, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> a- absolutely. Yeah. And, and you have to also factor in like all those other services are part of it. It's not just about the the space, but you've got to fa- okay, for the next, whatever it is, 10, 20 years, do you have the social workers? Do you have the, uh, you know, the, the, all, the people power to keep it going, you know, for those who need it. And hopefully you get to a point where you don't need it. But the fact is we do. And I, 
I tend to really love an audacious plan. And maybe that's what I love so much about a film like the 39 World's Fair film or, or you know, the, the redux of Futurama in the 64, which is sometimes you just need an audacious plan. And it's yeah. not going to please everybody, but that plan isn't necessarily terrible a hundred percent, you know. Well, something that is going on now, um, I think Mitsubishi is claiming they're building some uh, smart city near Nagoya. Uh, I don't know where they are hmm. on that. They, they, I think, announced it maybe two years ago. Now, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't think I want my refrigerator, you know, like uh, talking to me and, and measuring my food, to be perfectly honest. But <laughs> or, right, or was right. in the, the pop star movie playing the uh, Connor B for real album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <All that>. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. want those things. So I don't I it's like there's some things I really don't want smart. You know, like you said, when you get yeah. on the open road, you want that computer to, to ask you if it's time for you to, you know, tear on down the road, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you want the option there. So right. <laughs> I, right. But I'm curious exactly. what's gonna come of that uh in the next yeah. few years <laughs> yeah and you know that, that's always a tricky part any kind of futurism is that you catch up to the future and there have been attempts like uh i, I think probably the most famous is uh brasilia in brazil designed in the 60s as the city of the future but it's kind of a mess because they didn't plan well for things like people <laughs> who need like to build in the middle of the jungle and basically work. yeah 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 they didn't plan well for people who had to actually use that city um uh, but you know you you learn from it and hopefully you you kind of also plan into your planning that there are certain things that need to change um i, I was talking to uh, a buddy of mine the other day and we we're saying something just so simple as like um the switch from usb to USB-C, okay? People freak out about that still. And, and it's like, you can say, well, no, I mean, USB-C is the new standard universally. That's why it is called universal serial bus <laughs> uh, to be able to move data and power more quickly, more efficiently from one device to another. Because 10 years ago, you weren't shooting 4K video on your phone. You just weren't. You know, <laughs> so USB, which is now more than 25 years old, is old technology. And yet it's hard for people to wrap their heads around like, oh, I, I should move up to the, the newer technology, you know, and we were saying, OK, if you like if you were wiring a house, um, you know, electricity is still just. It is the standard. Yes, you want electrically driven things in your house. You need power in your house. But if you had a power uh, plate that had USB in it, well, actually, you want USB-C. But maybe that'll only get you for the next, say, 10 to 15 years. Then the next thing will be the next thing. So you got to plan around like, okay, is that a part, a modular part that I can remove? And I said, well, okay, that would be one thing. But like, even in the last 10 to 15, 20 years, say ethernet hasn't changed so that would be one that you could conceivably like not future proof but at least get longer use out of but again you still have to plan around this like modular idea even just on the micro level on a single home if you were trying to stay current with your technology you still have to plan in this very thoughtful way like ooh, this is good now what do I have to remove and replace in five years or 10 years or 20 years? I'm sitting here uh, studying my USB to see what, what I have here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's actually, ancient, it's, man. Ancient yeah, technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like this computer I'm talking to you and on is, that, is I, I think I bought it at the beginning of 2010. And I just. Okay. I just yeah. I can't replace it. I got it jury rigged for music. You know, I know I know all the latency quirks <laughs> when I'm editing and stuff, and it is slowing down. I know I need to replace it sometime soon, but <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, it's like the one thing where uh, you know, vacuum tubes are still the uh, top tier of technology. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> uh, if you want a guitar amp, you really do want a tube amp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very you know, true. Other ones Very just true. don't. Uh, yeah. Actually, I did just have a Back to the Future moment a few weeks ago by uh, 
trying to put a 20 watt tube amp through a five watt tube amp. They're both Vox. I thought they'd be friends, but they weren't. Ah. <laughs> Oops. I, I didn't break Oops. anything, but I made okay. some horrible All noises. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Awesome. I, I, not thinking about wattage. Um, the one thing I, <laughs> before we wrap up, the one thing I really did yeah. want to mention and actually bring up the Epcot film is a fun um, contrast yeah. again is the, uh, the narration. I guess uh, <laughs> one of the things that really does it for this film is just uh-huh. that weirdly dreamy narration. I don't know. Yeah. I find it's like, what is it? A, a, what's the, the whispering thing? A, D, uh, those four letters. Oh, no. uh, a- ASMR. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, I yeah. feel like the the narration of this is almost that. <laughs> yeah, Whereas Epcot, you know, it's like you know, it's Mickey Mouse telling you about Epcot, right? A <laughs> <laughs> right. little, little lower pitched, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's always an interesting. Uh, everything in this movie is a series of choices. You know, the choice for the uh, you you had in your notes, just even the opening titles. There is a choice there that is big imposing but it also has this cinematic language uh that it is important and and it's very sci-fi it's kind of buck rogers or fast forward decades superman that kind of three-dimensional like like carved out of material carved out of metal or stone or something to give it that weight um so there, there's a choice about the importance of the film that you're watching and then the narration is um well it's male (laughs) <laughs> for one thing, you know, and and again, it is speaking from this corporate point of view to this uh, white middle class audience that it presumes that it has presumes correctly uh, that it has at, at that time. And um, it sort of goes between dreamy and inspirational to like corporate hard sell um, and, and it also has this feeling of but it has this feeling of authority like you will do this. Like this is what you will be doing in the future. Oh, oh. And I I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of my favorite lines in here. He actually says, this is the future where you will spend the rest of your lives. And I immediately thought of the open narration from plan nine from outer space, Criswell himself saying, (laughs) we are all interested in the future for that is where you and I will spend the rest of our lives. And it's not Ed Wood must have seen this 1939 film and locked it away in his young memory. Yeah, that's why I wrote. I think it would nick that line. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yep. I, since I make music, I did um, not that, but I did. I sampled Criswell from his actual like vinyl album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, right you know, on. Piles and piles yeah. of bodies will be littered. He's talking about the vending machine medical care. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is get a heart transplant by vending machine. So, oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. But that that's the insane idealism that you're talking about that we kind of lose once the oil crisis starts uh, stepping yeah. in, I guess, you know, at, yeah. in the 50s Criswell. That's that's fantastic, right? <laughs> yeah. So good, man. We should probably get this one wrapped up, but um I guess uh tell folks where to find you. Happy to. I uh, yeah, the best place is going to be through podcasts.roddenberry.com. Uh, there you will find the shows that I'm a part of, uh, Mission Log, Mission Log Live, uh, The Trek Files, Sci-Fi 5. There's a lot of other shows happening and, and more to come. There, there's some that are just kind of uh, soon to drop. So keep an eye there, podcast.rodberry.com. Uh, to find me personally, Instagram, jchamp72, or on uh, Twitter, DVD Geeks. There's a throwback for you. Yes, DVDs. I still have physical media. Actually, I went back to buying some DVDs here and there because oh hell yeah, like I feel like they don't digital rot as much as uh, Blu-rays. <laughs> yeah, I, you're probably right. Yeah. I had several Blu-rays yeah. like just bite it, um, but damn. Yeah. Oh, although I um, well, of course, this podcast is oral hygiene. We're on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, we also talk about sci-fi films. Uh, some other folks talk about Monster Hunter, Pokemon. That's all under the Patreon umbrella of podcastio podcastius which is not a harry potter reference but a (laughs) reference (laughs) but uh yeah yeah come check it out there and oh i was actually yeah yeah i mentioned you too we're gonna get roll into the twilight zone soon because i did have to go ahead and get the blu-rays for that one oh awesome they're so good they're so good 
the packaging was terrible. I've already got them uh, stowed away in a case, but <laughs> there you go. Good for you. But nice. uh, yeah, it's got the radio drama versions, which are on YouTube as well. But uh, yeah, oh, that, cool. that's coming soon. And nice. For now, I guess it's off to New Horizons to give myself the titular line. <laughs> Very good. Did you advance the film strip? Are you on the final page? Well done. I predict within 10 years, you will live in a push-button world. Piles upon piles of human bodies will be heaped in our thoroughfares as a warning. I predict within 10 years, you will live in a push-button world. Piles upon piles of human bodies will be heaped in our thoroughfares as a warning. I predict full medical attention by inventing Have a heart transplant, a hair transplant, or even a brain transplant. My vending machine. I have full medical attention. My vending machine. Have a heart transplant, a hair transplant, or even a brain transplant. I predict within 10 years, you will live in a push-button world. Piles upon piles of human bodies will be heaped in our thoroughfares as a warning. Bombing by radar, where the body is turned to indestructible stone. Embalming by radar, where the body is turned to indestructible stone. I predict full medical attention by venting. Have a heart transplant, a hair transplant, or even a brain transplant by venting. Piles of piles of human bodies will be heaped in our thoroughfares as a warning. 